And so I hope you're excited for what the Lord has in store for us. Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. So I, again, I wanted to say uh, special thanks to Pastor for inviting us this week, and we're looking forward to what all the Lord uh, has in store and the, the new friendships we'll be able to make with all of you. I know last time we were here uh, with Bible time, really we didn't have much interaction with one another, um, and nor do we really even remember each other. And so uh, it, is, it is a blessing to uh, get to know each and every one of, a, one of you. So 1 John chapter number 4, let's look at, at verse number 4. And I want to preach this evening on a practical overcomer. A practical overcomer. Look at 1 John 4, verse number 4. It says, Ye are of God, little children and have overcome them. And so ye are of God. So here, John makes mention, uh, as we saw last night, our position in Christ. Remember, be, based on our position in Christ, uh, we no longer have to serve sin. Uh, we don't have to give in to that temptation. We'll look tonight on what it means to practically overcome uh, that. And so positionally, based on Scripture, we are overcomers because of, of Jesus Christ, who is an overcomer. Listen to what John 16, says. These things have I spoken unto you, that, ye, that in me ye might have peace. <clears throat> in the world ye shall have tribulation, be of good cheer. So here, Jesus is saying there are going to be troubles, there are going to be temptation, there's going to be tough times in life. But there's hope that he offers, and really, as he said, there's peace. And what does he say? He says, I have overcome the world. The reason why we can be of good cheer and the reason why we can have peace and live as overcomers is because Jesus himself is an overcomer. And so we see positionally in Christ we all are overcomers. But the question that I, I want to raise to you tonight is are we living practically as overcomers? Now tomorrow night we'll deal with an aspect of Bible prophecy and really the reason or the purpose for us to desire to resemble and to look like Jesus Christ. Our desire to conform to his image in this area of holiness. So that's just a little plug for tomorrow night to bring you back. And so if you have different ones that you've invited, tell them that we'll deal with some aspects of Bible prophecy. And so as we think about that and as we will get to that and really the purpose and the reason why here in this process of sanctification is so important because really it affects a future uh, uh, Bible prophecy that the Bible discusses. And so for all of us this evening, I want us to see based on Scripture, not only last night our position in Christ, we are positionally overcomers, but tonight may we see the aspect that we are practically overcomers. And so it says in verse number four, ye are of God, little children, there's the position, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, this thing of victory in the Christian life is not based on your ability. It's nothing that you can do in and of yourself, but it's the spirit of God which liveth within you that allows you and gives you the ability to live practically day by day as an overcomer. We saw last night the importance of really, and really the beginning of revival is this, is being broken over our sin. Coming to the place in our life where we realize, okay, 
there shouldn't be sin between my heart and the Lord Jesus Christ because it, it messes up that fellowship, that closeness with our Savior. Whether it's this thing of worry or fear that consumes our life, maybe it's how we respond to one another, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a, a child or a grandchild, uh, maybe it's bitterness or unforgiveness in our life, uh, maybe it's words that we use, things that we watch, places that we go, the list could go on and on tonight of sins that shouldn't be in the life of a believer. And so from that point, as we saw last night, based on our position in Christ, we ought to come and confess our sins before the Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news is this, is that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't it feel good to be clean? It's a great thing to know that as it, when we mess up in life, in the Christian life, that God is right there ready to forgive us, but it all is contingent upon you and I coming before him in honest and true repentance. And so I want us to look tonight at how do we live practically in victory. We've seen the importance of confessing our sin, so now how do we get out of this sin cycle? that we find ourselves in, this sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. How do we break free from that? How do we get out of that and begin to live the victorious Christian life that God desires for us to have? And so notice first tonight is we must recognize that God offers a way of escape every time. God offers a way of escape every time. Would you say that with me this evening? Ready, begin. God offers a way of escape every time. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians 10, and then we'll go to Joshua 1. But let's look in our journey back to Joshua 1. Let's take a, a break here and look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and see how in our lives God offers us the way of escape and so that we can see victory. Look at verse number 12. 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. This warns us of saying, okay, hey, I'm good. I've got it all figured out. I I'm all right. I I'm good. I I've got it all covered. Before you think that you stand and that you can do this on your own, and before you say that sin can't come knocking on your door, the Bible warns us, take heed, be careful. That's a dangerous place to be because if you're not aware of the dangers of the po potential of giving into temptation, then what will happen is oftentimes you'll fall into the trap of temptation and give in to that. Can I just take a break and, and just a moment to just say this? Temptation is not the sin, okay? Temptation is not the sin. It becomes a sin when we give in to that temptation, okay? And so we're talking about this, this aspect of the, the devil comes, the world comes, the flesh comes and tempts us with whatever sin you, you're struggling with. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it's something that, that, that seems to be small, but it seems to be something that's constant in your life, okay? When we're tempted, we notice and we can take uh, hope based on what verse number 13 says. So we've taken heed lest we fall, okay? Verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. It's a common thing to face temptation. It's a common thing to be tempted with sin. Listen, just because I'm a preacher and just because pastor is, is a, the pastor of this church doesn't mean we're immune to this thing of sin. We struggle with sin just like you do. We're not 
this Superman when it comes to, to, to this thing of being able to say, you know what, sin be gone and we never struggle with it. We all, based because really we're all sinners and we have this thing of the flesh, we all struggle with this thing of sin. And so verse number 13 tells us that it's a common thing for all of us to face temptation. But take hope and take heart. Look at what it says. But God is faithful. Aren't you thankful for a faithful God this evening? God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. That alone right there is good news. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. He makes the way of escape. If you, how many have ever driven uh, maybe in the mountains? Maybe you're on a vacation or you've, you've driven. I know in Illinois, it's hard to find mountains, okay? This little hill out back, this is considered a mountain in Illinois. That's just how flat Illinois is. But if you've journeyed outside of Illinois and you've, you've been into the mountains and you've gone up maybe a, a steep grade and then you're on your way, way down, Oftentimes, every several miles, you'll find that there's a little ramp that trucks can take. It's called an escape ramp. And so what happens is as they're driving, as the semi-drivers are, are, are going, if they for some reason seize up and lock up their, seize up their brakes or they uh, lose their braking system and they recognize instead of plummeting to their death ultimately because they picked up so much speed, which is you really don't ever recover from that, okay, Instead of going all the way down to the end of the, the, the mountain, they can take this escape ramp to safety. Now think about it in relation to our, our Christian life. When temptation comes in this journey of life, that moment that temptation, boom, right there comes, we have the choice whether we give into that temptation and follow after it, and then it would turn into sin, and we continue, you could say it according to the metaphor, continue down the mountain without, without any breaks. Or at that moment, we can choose to either give into it or we can take the way of escape that God offers. And so God offers a way of escape and he is faithful that every time temptation comes knocking on our door, whether it's struggling with fear, whether it's struggling with worry, whether it's struggling with uh, how we respond, anger, bitterness, the list could go on and on. When those things come into our life and temptation comes knocking on our door, God is faithful at every time that temptation comes, he makes the way of escape. And so that's good news. Now turn over with me to Joshua chapter number one. Joshua chapter number one. We find that Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader of the children of Israel. If you read later in, jo in the book of Joshua, you'll find that there are 31 places that they conquer. They only claim 10% of the land that God promised them, which is even a, an interesting aspect in relation to, to victory, is that oftentimes we find ourselves only claiming partially what God has, uh, has promised us in this area of victory. And so I stand here tonight to show you from God's word that it doesn't have to, have to be just a small amount of victory that you claim, but you can claim the entire victory based on the word of God. And so there are 31 places that they come and they battle in the land of Canaan. You see, to give you a little bit of context of the, the land of Canaan, it was a very wicked and godless society. For 450 years, God, God warned them and God desired for them to turn from their sin and from their idols back to the one true living God. 
But they were so wicked and so evil. And because we're in, in mixed company tonight, I won't go into detail. But just to give you a glimpse of what the Canaanites were guilty of is they would take their children and offer them as sacrifices in the hand of their idol. They would literally sacrifice their own children to appease their God or their idol. And so if that's not bad enough, that, that's just a small glimpse of the wickedness that Canaan uh, was guilty of. And so the book of Joshua, there are twofold things that's happening with Joshua and the children of Israel. One is they're claiming the land that God had promised them all the way back in Genesis chapter number 12. This land of promise, Canaan. Uh, and so they're claiming that land that God had promised. But also God is using the children of Israel to carry out judgment on the Canaanites. And before somebody says, wow, God is a moral monster and there, there are uh, there are those that are atheistic in their belief that would say God's a moral monster, that he would send the children of Israel. But wait, understand that God gave them 450 years to turn back to God. God was long-suffering, but because of their willingness to reject God and his plan, God is now using not only the children of Israel to claim the land that he promised, but also to judge them based on their sin and their wickedness. And so if we come to Joshua chapter number 1, Joshua is the leader. Moses has died according to verse number 1. And think about it for a moment, maybe the emotions that Joshua had. That yes, Moses trained him and he, he learned a lot under, under Moses, but he was human just like you and I. Imagine for the next several moments you were in charge of all of a sudden two to three million people. You were the leader. What emotions would you have? Maybe a little bit of worry, anxiety of, oh man, everything rises and falls with me. Maybe a little apprehension, a little fear of, of the unknown that happens to, to all of us. And I wonder what, what uh, things Joshua had going through his mind. And so before they claim this land that God had promised, we find that there's actually 32 battles that went on because there was sin in the camp in Joshua chapter number 8. When they went into Ai, they thought it was going to be an easy battle, but because of the sin, they couldn't conquer at that moment Ai until the sin was dealt with. And that's a good principle that we dealt with even last night. And so here, here's their record. They're going to go 31 and 1. Now, how many would like it and how many would have some pride in maybe your local high school team or maybe your, your, your professional team that you, you enjoy watching of sports, if your team had a, had a, a winning record, 31-1, and one, uh, most of us would be shouting, most of us would be proud to wear the apparel, and we would, we would be, have that sense of pride for our team because they're, they're winning and they're doing great. And so here it is, Joshua, they go 31-1. and one. But before they claim the first place, Jericho, God had to come to Joshua and give him some reassurances. Look at what the Lord tells Joshua, verse number three. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. See, before any battle was, was, was won or waged against the enemy, the Lord comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, I want to remind you that in Canaan, every place that your foot treads upon, I have given you the victory, if you follow what I've told you to do. 
And so now that puts really and sheds a whole nother light in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That God promises us, just like he did Joshua, the fact that you and I can claim the victory based on our position in Christ and based on the character of God. And so every place that, that the full of soul of our foot shall tread upon, if we're following God's command and what his word says, we too can see victory. And so he's reminded that, hey, I've given you the victory. And tonight, can I remind you that God has given us the victory as well? He's given us that victory. What sin do you struggle with? What sin do you battle with? God has given you the victory. Notice what he says in verse number four. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, he goes and lists off the, the really the coast of what they could conquer. Verse number five. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not leave thee nor forsake thee. See, Joshua was not only needed to be reminded that, hey, the land of Canaan is yours. Go in and conquer it. And tonight, the victory is yours. It's time to start claiming it. But notice, as he says, I will be with thee. You see, what happens is, we often forget this in the struggle of, of sin, don't we? We battle sin. We battle this thing of temptation. We fail the Lord all too often. We can't help but ask the Lord, Lord, do you really still love me? Can you really still love me, even though it seems like I fail you time and time again? As the hymn writer wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But you see, God's love for you is not based on your performance. God's love for you is not based on your performance. You see, the world kind of takes this thing in this idea of love and, and really skews it a little bit. You see, this is, this is love for, for the world, Brother Morris, is this. Is I will love you and I will do for you as long as you do such and such for me. But the moment that you stop doing for me anything, that's the moment I say, uh, goodbye, and we move on and begin to, to, to spend time with somebody else. See, that's the world's definition of love. But understand that God is a God of love. This is his very character. God is love, and his love for you is not based on your performance. Yes, he's displeased when we sin, but it doesn't change the love that he has in his heart for you and for me. God's love is not based on our performance. And before we say, okay, God can't be with me because it seems like I fail in time, in time again, understand that God is right there ready to pick you up and ready to help you to see victory as long as you confess your sin and turn back your heart to Him. And so we find that God is with us. So notice, not only does God offer the way of escape, we don't have to give in to that temptation. Notice number two tonight is surrender your rights. Surrender your rights. Turn, would you, would you, to Galatians chapter number 2. Galatians chapter number 2. I want you to see this based on Scripture. Galatians 2, verse number 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. That sin nature, that flesh, should be crucified with Christ. 
You see, when it comes to the relationship of this mindset that we often have as Christians, is we say this, I have the right to do this, I have the right to act this way, I have a right to fill in the blank. But understand, as Christians, every morning we ought to crucify the flesh and surrender our rights of what we think we have the right to, to Almighty God. There's a medical term, DOA, dead on arrival. Every morning when we wake up, may we wake up and enter the, the day dead on arrival, saying, Lord, here it is, here's my flesh, I'm giving it to you, I am crucified with Christ. Lord, I'm surrendering my rights and my flesh to you because I want to see lasting and longing for this thing of victory. Nevertheless, I live, verse number 20, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Because Christ lives within us every morning when we, when we surrender our rights. Now we're asking the Lord, Lord, instead of me living in my own ability, Lord, I want you to shine forth through me. So that the world around me and at the, at the store, at work, uh, in my neighborhood, that they can see Christ and not me. And so surrendering our rights, that, I, that Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I wonder tonight who in here needs to get to the place to see practically victory every morning to say, you know what, Lord, I'm surrendering my rights to you. May we in our life not only understand that God has given us the victory, but may we come to the place where we say, you know what, God, it's not about me but it's all about you. May we live daily, DOA, dead on arrival. Lord, here it is. Crucify my flesh. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. Crucify the flesh daily. Number three tonight is don't allow failures to define you. Guys, let's say that together. Everybody begin. Ready? Don't allow failures to define you. Would you turn over to Philippians chapter number three? Philippians chapter number three, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and this important aspect of keeping our joy. Paul has some interesting uh, aspects of, of some of the struggles and even some of the accomplishments that he even had. You see, when we fail the Lord, it's easy for the devil, isn't it, to come knocking on, on our doorstep to say, hey, God can't use you in this place and that place because of the failures that you've, that you've had. The struggles that you've had, God can't use you. But let's see what Paul has to say. Now let me ask you, you can respond this, this evening. It's just us, okay? No need to fear, no need to worry. Nobody will make fun of you yet, okay? Maybe Brother Wes will, but who knows? No, I'm just kidding. What, who was, what was Paul's name before he was saved? Saul. Somebody, somebody just shouted out, what was Saul known for? Persecuting the Christians. You could say it this way, murder. Acts 7 he holds the very coat of Stephen. Acts 8 starts with, consenting unto his death, Saul began to breathe out threatenings against the church. So no doubt God used this unsaved man of Saul to begin to scatter the church, but it doesn't negate the fact of Saul was guilty of this thing of murder. And so we see the negative aspect of what Saul would have been guilty of. Okay, But notice what he says in Philippians 3, verse number uh, 5. He now is going to mention some accomplishments that he has as a, as a Jewish individual born and raised in a Jewish family. Circumcised the eighth day 
of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he had this thing of zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So there's a, a, a big list here of some good and bad things that, that Paul could really claim as a Jewish individual. He followed the law. He was a Pharisee. He was somebody that touched the law. He knew what was in the law. No doubt by the, by the time he was a teenager, he would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, not too bad. Exodus, not too bad. Leviticus, Numbers, why, right? Uh, that, that, that'd be a, a difficult, uh, some difficult books to, to memorize. But he would have known the first five books of the Bible by memory and could recite them. And so you can't help but look at Paul. If Paul were to walk into the door tonight, we would say, man, Paul, tell us a, 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 some about your, your growing up. Tell us some about all these things that you list off in Philippians chapter number 3. And so the good and the bad. But notice what he says, verse number 7. But what things were gained to me, the things that he lived for, the things that were good and bad, I counted loss for Christ. Verse number 10, he says that I may know him. The reason why he counted it lost is so that he could know the Lord Jesus Christ on a more intimate basis. But notice verses 13 and 14, very important verses. Brethren, so he's speaking to believers and Think about it for even us tonight as we desire to live practically as overcomers. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are, what's that next word? Behind. And reaching forth unto those things which are before. So Paul had to come to the place in his own ministry and in his own life that he said, the good and the bad that is behind me, I'm leaving it back there lest I get discouraged or lest I get puffed up in my own ability. But he says, those things back there, I leave it behind and I press toward the mark in verse number 14 for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. His desire now is to conform to the image of his dear son. And tonight, maybe there's some struggle of what you've done in the past or the struggle of sin that you're, you're uh, discouraged about. But can I say tonight, be loyal to your future and not to your past. The devil likes to climb up on our shoulder, doesn't he? And say, hey, God can't use you because this and that. But understand that's a lie of the devil and it's not found in the word of God. If we truly have confessed it to God and we desire to live close and resemble the Lord Jesus Christ, God can and is ready to use us. And our desire tonight should be this, to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose. That's the reason why we desire to live practically as an overcomer. Don't allow failures to define you. Notice number four tonight, and then we'll be done, is remain in Christ. Would you say that with me? Remain in Christ. Turn over to John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. John 15, Jesus speaks of the true vine, the vine and the branches, about abiding in him. Verse number one, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. You see, in order to see victory, you must be connected to the vine. In order to experience the divine blessings of God, you must be connected to the vine, and that's Jesus Christ. How does that happen? By salvation. 
It's an important aspect. But notice what he says in verse number two. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So he's purging to bring forth more fruit. Verse number three. Now, this is how we are purged in our life. Now, ye are clean through the word of God, which I have spoken unto you. And so in order to remain in Christ, we must first desire the pruning knife. What is that? That's the word of God. Desiring the word of God and reading the word of God and memorizing it, hiding it in our heart. Why? So that way it can help us to conform to the image of Christ. You see, if we're not in the word of God, we're not going to experience victory at all. We're going to constantly live the sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess life. And so the word of God is important because the word of God helps to purge us. So that way, why? John 15, we can bear forth fruit. We can bear fruit. And so we must continue, continually allow the word of God to radically change our life. You see, this thing of, of, of COVID has, has, has been a, a difficulty for, for churches all over because what has it done? It's allowed Christians to be, become complacent, hasn't it? So much that if they were on the fence of this thing of coming to church or they didn't really care to come to church, but they did it out of duty, then guess what? They're not in the doors of the church. Why? Because of complacent Christianity. Because they really weren't allowing the God of the Bible to really be a personal God to them. And those that are complacent and those that maybe are struggling with coming and getting back to this faithfulness of God, the question that I have to ask is, have they been reading the Word of God? Because the Word of God is what tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Praise God for online. Praise God for the live streaming. For those that maybe are sick or those that can't make it into the service, understand I, I'm approaching this in a balanced way. I'm thankful for the, the privilege that we have to use the technology. But technology does not replace the importance of gathering. And guess what book tells us that? The Word of God. You see, the Word of God prunes and helps us to realize in order to remain in Christ and to see lasting victory then we ought to be in God's house and in the word of God, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And so if you're on the fence, and even for those that are watching, if you aren't in this place and you can be, I challenge you, get back into it. Get back into it and be faithful to God's house because it's here as a church that we can grow together according to the word of God and we can begin to conform to the image of Christ and we can encourage one another as believers. So to remain in Christ, we must desire the word of God, allow it to radically change our life. But notice also, when we remain in Christ, we also should display love, display love. John 13, 34, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus also said this, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. Not by how much scripture you have memorized, not by your suit, not by your your, uh, your accolades, the things that you accomplish, or your, your Sunday school teaching. But he says, this is how people know that, if you, that you are my disciple, you're a follower of me, if you have love one for another. That's the trademark of Christianity. Let me ask you, do you display love? You see, when we're living defeated, it's hard to display love. But when we're living in victory and abiding in him, 
what will happen is the outflow of that will be the love of Christ in our lives. He says, abide in me in verse number four. Look at what he says. He says in verse number nine, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Now what does he say? Continue ye in my love. Love. See, to remain in Christ helps us to display the love of Christ to others around us. To love those that are struggling with sin. Galatians 6 says this, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Those that are struggling with sin, hey, it's not a moment to condemn them. Obviously, if it's unconfessed sin, then there ought to be this thing of church discipline. There ought to be a dealing with that sin first and foremost. But those that are struggling with this sin, trying to see victory and see lasting victory, do you know the first place that they should find the encouragement and the one that, that should help them is you and I as believers to restore them, to help them to draw closer to God and see this thing of victory. And so ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. And so display love. But notice last is daily fight with the Spirit. Daily fight with the Spirit. Turn over real quick to Ephesians chapter number 6. We won't develop the entire passage of Ephesians 6. That's another time, another day. Pastor will do that for you later, all right? But tonight, I want us to just kind of see an aspect of, of what it means to, to live in victory and to go against the fiery darts and be able to stand against the fiery darts of the wicked. And so daily fight with the Spirit. You see, if we're trying to get victory on our own, we're going to fail. But that's why the Spirit of God, that is the earnest or the inheritance of our salvation, it's important to fight along with the Spirit of God. He gives us, really, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. He says in verse number 11, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He goes and lists, verses 14, really through, uh, through verse number 17, of the defensive armor that God has given to us. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so here it is. These are defensive things to help us to stand against the fiery darts of the wicked. But notice the two offensive weapons that God gives to us. Look at what it says in verse number 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation. That's the defensive. That's the helmet that's in, that helps and protect our mind. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the, what does it say? The Word of God. So now, again, to abide in Christ is to allow the Word of God to affect our heart and, to, and affect our minds. And so again, here, the offensive weapon to help us live practically as overcomers is daily the Word of God. What sin are you struggling with that you're trying to see victory? Find five verses out of this book and commit them to memory and allow those verses to affect your heart and your mind. Because when we're using the word of God, that moment that, that temptation comes, that's the way of escape, the word of God and prayer. That's the way of escape that God provides for us, that we don't have to give in to that sin. And so when we memorize scripture based on the struggles that we have in our own hearts, whatever they may be, they're different for all of us. When that temptation comes knocking at our door, we can quote, we can memorize, we can uh, say the scripture, and we can get out down on our knees and ask God to help us to overcome that sin. And guess what? It's then that we begin to see victory. There may be a moment that, that you 
you uh, struggle and you, you fall back into that sin. But I'm talking about lasting victory comes and is not based on that, 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 that really, that every once in a while uh, relapse, as you could say. But it's this, getting to the point where you realize, okay, I'm desiring to live in lasting victory and it's going to take some work and it's going to take some diligence. You may fail in the next week getting victory over that sin, but it doesn't mean that we give up seeking victory. We grab the word of God and the sword of the, sword of the spirit. And then notice what it says in verse number 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. What does that show us? that we ought to fight with the Spirit of God. Every day, every moment of every day, asking, oh, Spirit of God, would you help me to see victory over this sin? You know what's amazing? Is that when we use these weapons, God begins to help us. And we realize that it's not our ability, but it's God helping us to stand against this temptation. See, victory is a day-by-day process. Don't look to the end goal of, man, I can't wait till next year when I have lasting victory because you know what's going to happen is you're going to continually struggle from this point on until that, that day is marked that you've put in your mind. But what is victory? Victory is a day-to-day process. Day-by-day, waking up, saying, Lord, I'm crucifying my flesh. I'm dead on arrival. Lord, here it is. And daily, getting in the Word of God in prayer, practically as an overcomer. May we claim the victory day by day. I have in front of me an umbrella. Now, you all look like a smart group of people. What are umbrellas used for? Rain, all right? Now, if we were to use an umbrella, if it were, let's say it was raining, and Brother Art, he decides that he doesn't want to mess up his beautiful hair, and so... He says, man, it's, it's raining out there, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to grab an umbrella. And so he has the umbrella, and he walks out the door, and he opens it up, and he holds it up, and he walks outside. See, let me ask you, as he's walking in the rain, is he going to be wet or is he going to be dry? He's going to be dry. Why? Because the umbrella is helping him overcome the raindrops. And so he's staying dry because he's utilizing the umbrella and so his hair doesn't get messed up. Uh, it looks good. It looks, looks fresh. And he, it's all, all in that right spot. And so he's overcome the raindrops. He's, he's pretty much taken, in, taken the rain out of the picture because he's utilizing the tool that is in his hand. It's the umbrella. Now let's say Brother Wes, he decides that he wants to do the same thing. He sees that it's raining out. And he says, man, he says, I don't like it when it rains. And it's not my favorite, and so he grabs the umbrella. We see him, and we're standing there. We watch Brother Wes. He begins to walk out the door. But something interesting that we notice about him is instead of opening it up, putting it above his head, he just has it. Maybe he's using it as a cane. Maybe he's just walking, and he's twirling it around uh, as he's walking out to his car. We all sit, stand there and say, Brother Wes, what are you doing? We, can't, we would scratch our head and say, you're soaking wet, and all you had to do is open up that umbrella. But he doesn't. And what's happened is instead of staying dry like Brother Art, he's now soaking wet. He has to drive all the way home soaking wet. See, it's not that he didn't have the tool. He did. 
but he didn't utilize it to stay dry, right? I wonder tonight, we find that positionally as Christians, we are overcomers. But many times what happens is positionally we understand that, but practically we don't open the umbrella and live as overcomers. Let me ask you tonight, who in here needs to move beyond just understanding their position in Christ and begin to practically live as an overcomer? I mean, tonight we pick up the, you could say it this way, umbrella and begin to practically use it and be an overcomer. Every head bowed and eyes closed.